0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Thursday Thoughts. I hope this podcast finds you well. I hope you're all having a a wonderful week and a wonderful day. And I'm just so grateful that you're taking the time to have taking the opportunity to listen to this podcast. And I pray that it will be beneficial and uplifting to you. That's Matthew chapter 5 verse 4, the second beatitude where we're starting today. Have you heard anything? Have you ever heard anything more paradoxical or backwards? Happy are the unhappy. <laughs> that's that's so silly, isn't it? That that sounds silly to us. That sounds so silly. We hear it and we're like, "What?" How can how can, you know, we talked about the Beatitudes last week, and we talked about the the context of them, so maybe we should review that for those who maybe didn't get to listen to last week's episode or would like a review. So, right, we talked about how the word blessed refers to those who are and or will be happy, fortunate. I Like I said, I, I kind of prefer the word fortunate, or as those who are to be kind of congratulated almost because of God's response to their behavior or situation right their mindset their attitude that's kind of what we talked about we we set up the beatitudes and what it means by blessed are those so it's kind of like fortunate are those who do this because of you know their their attitude you know the beatitudes as we talked about form an appropriate introduction to jesus's sermon on the mount as they remind his disciples that god blesses them before he even makes demands on them right the body of the sermon is like The demands, right? God's, Jesus' teaching, right? Um, And so God blesses us before we even do anything, right? Kind of how God saves us by grace through faith, right? There's nothing we do to earn our salvation. It's freely given. The same sequence um, and structure also appeared at Sinai back in Exodus. God redeemed his people from Egypt and reminded them of his blessings before giving them the law. And so, very similar here, Jesus does the same thing. And so, (laughs) back to what I was saying, have we ever heard anything more backwards, more paradoxical? Happy are the unhappy, right? Fortunate are those who are unfortunate. That's so backwards, right? You're probably sitting here thinking, Jesus, what do you mean? Jesus, what are you saying? Today we live in a grief-averse culture we have 101 ways to cope with and avoid grief not to cause it and so the cause and effect jesus highlights in this beatitude is that kind of mourning leads to comfort which is crazy to think about you know like i said the point of in this in this season of thursday thoughts we're talking about culture right we're talking about how we're talking about how christianity and culture are different and, and when I say Christianian culture, I mean like the modern worldly culture. Because today, people tell you to be happy. People tell you that it's not, it, you know, it's bad if you're sad. I mean, we live and probably, you know, everybody wants to be happy. And that's true, I think, for all periods of life, for all eras, and for all time. Everybody wants to be happy. And we live in a world today that tries to help make everybody happy. We live in a world that just tries to make everyone happy. Like every little decision is made to try to make everyone happy. And we all know the reality is that not every choice is going to make everybody happy, but yet the world and we still try to live this way. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We should try to help keep people happy and make them happy and not be mean or make them upset. But in particular, we when I'm thinking about grief and I'm thinking about mourning and I'm thinking about our culture, our culture doesn't really like that. Our culture says that that's not a good thing. And I think most of us would probably agree that mourning is not a bad thing. Now, when I say mourning, I'm not talking about, you know, when the sun rises in the morning. I'm talking about, like, sadness, like (laughs) M-O-U-R, mourn, mourning, like extreme sadness, extreme distress, extreme hardship. And so it's interesting when we think about this. And so, I guess the first thing we need to do is talk about what what is Jesus meaning? Blessed are those who mourn. What does that mean to mourn right so obviously, our worldly definition of mourning and I guess our practical definition is that you know mourning is whenever you're extremely sad about something you know maybe maybe your best friend moved away, maybe someone close to you has passed away, maybe you lost a pet or something you know that kind of leads you into mourning or maybe you lost your job you know put yourself in a bad situation you would mourn most likely you would cry you would be really distressed and distraught and so but now what does Jesus mean by blessed are those who mourn fortunate are those who mourn we should again think of both spiritual and social concerns mourning includes grief Caused by both personal sin and loss and social evil and oppression. That's from a commentary I read by Craig Blomberg. But I agree with his point. And that I think Jesus, what Jesus is meaning here, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning over our sin, being distressed, being distraught over our sin and over our spiritual state sometimes, and thinking about, man, I am so unholy. I am so bad sometimes. And just recognizing where we are. And so, and also because Jesus is talking to a group of probably Jewish people who have been oppressed by the Roman Empire for years now. And today he's talking to Christians who maybe we're not oppressed being like put to death or anything, but. We're oppressed in other ways. I mean, the uh, this worldly culture does not like Jesus and does not like God and does not like Christianity. I mean, of all the religions in the world, why are all the other religions so easily accepted? They're so easily, you know, Islam, um, Judaism these days even, and, uh, and, and anything. You, you, you put throw in any religion besides Christianity, and it's almost, I wouldn't even necessarily say celebrated, because some people just don't like religion in the culture, in the world today, but... But it's like it's okay. But as soon as Jesus comes into the conversation and God and the Holy Spirit and the Bible and Christianity, it's, you know, it's almost like it's terrible. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. And so, in ways, we are socially suppressed and socially oppressed. Um, Again, not necessarily to the extent that the first century church was at times, but we certainly are in our own ways. And so... Mourning over persecution, mourning over hard times, and stuff like that. This is what God's talking about. You know, God will comfort now in part, and fully in the future. Right when the kingdom of heaven comes fully, and and it's important that we realize that this Christian mourning, this Christian mourning, does not outweigh happiness as the more dominant characteristic of the Christian life, because happiness is still um, a more dominant characteristic of the Christian life you can see that in Matthew chapter 9 verse 15 when Jesus talks about you know will you mourn while the bridegroom's still here Um, and his point is being that like you know happiness is a characteristic but it's a different kind of happiness it's not like how the world defines happiness and being fortunate and so all this to say when we think about mourning when Jesus is saying blessed are those who mourn He's saying, blessed are those, fortunate are those, so again, I think if we say fortunate instead of blessed, I think it's more accurate, and I think it helps us understand the passages even a little bit more. So fortunate are those who mourn over their spiritual state. Fortunate are those who realize their sin and are sorry for it. Fortunate are those who are being oppressed for my name's sake, who are trying their hardest to live as lights in the world, but are... Being constantly, you know, battered and berate and and sieged for it. And they are mourning because of it. Fortunate are those, because they will be comforted. And so Jesus will comfort us now. Right, right. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, right? Our advocate who came, um, who who we receive when we become Christians. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He comforts us, and He leads us and He guides us and He helps us. And so, in part, yes, God comforts us now, but even more so will we be comforted comforted, in the future. And so, I think it's also interesting that, I think Jesus is probably thinking about Isaiah chapter 6 here, when he's talking about blessed are those who mourn. In Isaiah, there was, uh, or I say Isaiah 6, sorry, Isaiah 61. <laughs> um, in Isaiah 61, Verses 2 through 3, we see how um, it reads this in Isaiah 61, verses 2 through 3 To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so, Jesus is definitely probably reminding, because again, he's speaking to Jewish people who probably know their Torah, their their Old Testament scriptures, as we would call it today, but their, their law, the, the law of Moses, and the prophets and stuff, they know those things. They've read it and heard about it in synagogue. And so they, Jesus is probably, when he's saying, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, he's recalling them to remember the promise in Isaiah, right? The promises in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all these prophetic books and what they claim. And, he, and Jesus is obviously linking it with his message in that he's the promised Messiah to, who has come. And so, again, when we think about mourning, I'm doing all this to help us see that when we're talking about mourning, it's talking about those who, because the people in exile, right, after Jerusalem and Israel had been destroyed, right, by the the Israel was destroyed in 722 by the Assyrians and then Jerusalem. Yeah, Israel was destroyed and then Jerusalem, Judah, the whenever the country was divided into two nations. The northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 and then in 586 or 587 BC is whenever the Babylonians finally came through and leveled Jerusalem. And so now the people are in exile and they're, they're mourning over their, you know, finally, finally in their spiritual exile and their physical exile as well from Jerusalem when they were taken from their lands and made as slaves in Babylon. They finally start mourning over their sin. They realized that they had sinned and rebelled against God and that God was punishing them. And so they were mourning. And so Isaiah comes as um, a hope for that. Um, and to, it's, a, it's a prophetic message for hope for these people in exile. It's, And there are several other passages like it, um, especially like Jeremiah and Lamentations and stuff, but... We see that today, until we become Christians, we are in spiritual exile of God. And even when we become Christians, we realize that our sin will separate us from God if we don't mourn over it, and if we don't ask for repentance, and if we don't try to be better. And so we need to remember that we need to almost be mournful, (laughs) if that's a word I can use. And so the question is why do we mourn? And so again, I'm going to be repetitive a lot. We mourn into repentance, right? Repentance is a gift and proper mourning, not regret, not self-condemnation, but mourning leads us to repentance and transformation, right? I think of uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, Whereas worldly grief produces death, mourning invites us—or excuse me, mourning invites fellowship with the Spirit. It is not the mourning itself that makes us happy, but when we mourn in the Spirit, in God's Spirit, we have fellowship with the Spirit, and the Spirit of comfort will comfort us. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm thirty-four. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit or comforts those who are crushed in spirit. And so why do we mourn? We mourn for repentance. We mourn so that we recognize our sin and so that God will forgive us. So why can Jesus say fortunate are those who mourn? We're fortunate because when we mourn and we recognize our sinful state and we ask God to forgive us and we're sorry for it, he will forgive us and it will bring us into better relationship with him. And so what do we mourn for? Again, we mourn for our sin. Mourning is not just a doorway for unbelievers to enter into salvation. It is mainly for the Christian. We need to mourn as people who are not wholly sanctified, who are not holy, holy, <laughs> who are not holy, holy. In the late 1990s, there's a story of a worship leader who stood on stage with no sound system, no music or anything like that, and sang his song of mourning. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made when it's all about you. The song Heart of Worship by Matt Redman became an anthem for a whole generation of Christians who said, hey, I've not been living right. I need to set my heart right before God. And that's what this attitude of mourning is that Jesus is talking about, is mourning over our sin, mourning and like feeling bad for what we do sometimes. We mourn for the world even sometimes, and we mourn for the state of the world. You know, I hear a lot of Christians sometimes talk about, man, how bad is the world right now? You know, if you, if you watch the news, you know, you see all this bad stuff going on. Jesus, who was without sin, mourned for the state of Jerusalem that was chosen and loved by the Father, Right? Remember when Jesus cried for Jerusalem, right? Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. When Jesus mourned for Jerusalem. We should be mourning for the world. And that mourning should cause us to action. It should lead us to action. Mourning over the state of the world and seeing how sinful it can be at times should lead us into trying to make a positive impact and a positive change for the world. When was the last time your heart was broken over what you have done and you know it was a sin? When was the last time you truly felt convicted and you truly felt guilty for something wrong that you've done and mourned for it? When was the last time your heart was broken over the concerns of the Lord? When was the last time you saw all that bad stuff going on and it just broke your heart And you thought about, what can I do to help bring change to this? We've been studying, we've been preparing for Bible Bowl with the youth group. And we've been looking at Ezra and Nehemiah. And you see Ezra, and in the last chapter of Ezra, whenever he comes, he had left for a little bit, and he comes back to Jerusalem. And when he comes back to Jerusalem... In the last chapter of Ezra, he sees that the people hadn't been faithful to their renewed covenant and they hadn't been doing the things they were supposed to. And so Ezra is distraught. Distraught. I mean, rips his clothes, like pulls out his hair, and sits in the rain. And it leads him to take action. He gets the people back in line doing what they're supposed to do. But and he prays to God and, you know, is basically just like, you know, God, you know, I tried. You know, don't, don't hold this sin against me, basically. You know, I'm trying. And like, Ezra felt guilty. Like, and Ezra was coming and trying his hardest. And he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but the sin of the people made him feel that way. And he was sorry. He was convicted. And he, his heart was broken over the concerns of God. When was the last time our heart was broken over the concerns of God? So, how do we mourn? That's the next question. How do we mourn? So, I think it's important we don't make a show of it, right? We don't need to make a show over mourning. The mourning of the Spirit is done with fasting and prayer, it's done with um, behind closed doors between just you and God. Jesus gives very specific instructions on how to fast and how to pray. Jesus tells us to do it in secret, right? I think of Luke chapter 18 in luke chapter 18 verses 11 through 14 jesus says the pharisee standing by himself prayed thus god i thank you that i am not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers who even like this tax collector or even like this tax collector i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i get but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his chest, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, we see Jesus teaching counterculturally, Jesus showing that, you know, a lot of times we think that the proud and The world would tell you that the the upright in society, the just in society, those who are right with the law and everything and those who are doing the things they're supposed to do, they should be proud and they should hold their heads up high. Jesus says the opposite. Jesus says the humbled will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Let's read another passage in Matthew chapter 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's Matthew chapter 6, later in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we see that, how do we mourn? We don't make a show of it. We humble ourselves before God and God alone, because that's all that matters. Our faith isn't something that we parade around to be seen by others. Like, yes, your your faith should be evident in your life, and people should be able to tell you're a Christian, but you don't walk around with the holier-than-thou attitude and shoving it in everyone's face. That's not the way Jesus taught faith. Mourn until you are comforted. It's uncomfortable to mourn, I feel like. I think everyone would agree. It feels bad and it doesn't feel good. We don't like to be sad and depressed. Dep- well, I say depressed. We don't like to be gloomy and mourning. We don't like to be that type of feeling. But let's not be too quick to make ourselves feel good. Disarm the thing you run to when you want to feel good. You know, For some of us, maybe it's entertainment and shopping. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's working out. Whatever it is, maybe hold off on it for a little bit and just mourn and stay uncomfortable until you are comforted by the Holy Spirit because then we can comfort others with the same comfort that we have received. And that's just the more biblical way. And so, in terms of our culture, our culture thinks that mourning is bad and that it's never good and that and that, you know, we, we shouldn't be, you know, that you should be happy all the time, you should do what makes you happy, pursuit, the pursuit of happiness, right? However, Jesus says, fortunate are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If anything, the world thinks opposite. Unfortunate are those who mourn. You need to find things that comfort you and just comfort yourself. That's what the world says, and so that's completely backwards. It's completely opposite. I mean you read like I said there there's a we have 101 we probably have a million and one ways to avoid mourning and be comforted and there are podcasts out there there are, we have psychologists we have counselors we have therapists you know people who will talk to you through bad things and we have their avenues like community groups and stuff facebook groups to talk about your feelings and to be comforted and not to be mourning and so it's clear to say that our culture does not think that those who mourn are fortunate. But again, it's important to think that Jesus is not talking about worldly matters here. He's talking about spiritually. Because the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of spirit. It's not a physical kingdom. right? Jesus was the Messiah, and he did. He is the new David. right? He's the promised David, the Messiah who came and established a kingdom. But it wasn't a physical kingdom like a lot of the Jews and like a lot of the the Israelites thought it was going to be. It was a spiritual kingdom, an even better kingdom. And so spiritually, we need to be people who mourn over our spiritual state, people who feel sorry for the things that we do. And so I think, and I want to ask you a few questions for you to just think and reflect on. Question number one, when did I last mourn over my sin And the sins of the world. When was the last time that you felt bad for your sins? When was the last time you felt bad for the sins of the world? Or do you just pray and you know, oh God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me when I mess up. And is that all it is? I've been guilty of that plenty of times. And so I need to remember to have a more mournful type attitude. And my next question I want to ask you is, what do I run to when I don't want to mourn in a difficult situation? What's my out? What do I do to try to make myself feel good? Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's important that we remember that we, by ourselves, are not good enough. We're not. The world will try to tell you, you know, the world in the culture today says, you're perfect the way you are, love yourself, girl, love yourself, dude, you're great, you're awesome. And like, yes, you should love yourself. Like, because if you don't love yourself, you can't love others. And so, like, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Like, self-love is important, but the idea is our culture is so self-centered. It's selfish. It's selfish. And it tells you to focus on you. And that's what I'm talking about. And it tells us to, you know, don't be sad, be happy, love yourself, but we're not good enough by ourselves. In terms of spirit, we can't save ourselves. Only God can save us. Only Jesus, only Jesus' perfect sacrifice, His blood that we're baptized into, that washes away our sin, that's the only thing that can save us. And so, again, being poor in spirit, the first beatitude we mentioned last week, recognizing your spiritual state, recognizing my need for a Savior and that I'm a sinner. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I need to be sorry about the things I do. I need to be sorry and not just, you know, ah, it's okay, you'll do better next time. No, we need to be sorry. Because if you're not actually sorry about something and you don't actually feel bad about something, you're not going to change. If I don't feel bad about what I do, I'm not going to change. I need to have a mourning attitude in terms of my spiritual state. And I need to be sorry about the things I do to disrespect God. Because when we sin and we make mistakes, we're basically slapping God in the face and saying, my way's better. And we better be sorry for that. And so, let's pray. Let's pray for a minute. And let's pray for God to give us an attitude of mourning. And again, this doesn't mean you'll be sad. It doesn't mean mean that you just live your life in sadness, but it means just recognizing that I've made mistakes and that I need to humble myself before God so that he will exalt me and lift me up. So, will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings of it. Thank you for your son Jesus. Lord, thank you for the lessons that you teach us through your word. Lord, help us to live the words, fortunate are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, help us to mourn over our spiritual state and over the state of the world and how sin has crept into it and how sin tries to hold us captive and holds a lot of people captive. And Lord, we know that that's not a good thing to be. Lord, we know sin held us captive until we became Christians and until we focused on you and for anybody who's not a Christian God, we know that you want for them to become a Christian. You want to release the bonds of sin. You want to free them from their bondage. And Lord, help us to recognize our sinful state and be poor in spirit. Help us to recognize when we make mistakes, Lord, and be sorry and be sorry for it and ask for forgiveness and recognize that I have sin and be sorry that Sometimes the world doesn't do what you want it to do and be sorry over that, and then have that godly repentance lead to forgiveness and lead to a better relationship with you and lead us to do something for your kingdom. Like Ezra, Ezra, his godly repentant, or I say his, his sorrow, his mourning led him to take action for you. Help us to do the same. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. We ask that you would forgive us, God, and we're sorry for our sins. Lord, I know me, I'm so imperfect or so imperfect Lord and I make mistakes and I fall short all the time Lord even when I know better and I know there's things I shouldn't do and so God I ask that you would forgive me and that you would help me as a man, as a person, as a Christian, as a minister and I pray that you'd be with all of us and help us to acknowledge our sin to you because we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us whenever we confess to you so help us to mourn over our sin because we know when we mourn we will be comforted We love you, we thank you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. And amen. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Thursday Thoughts. I hope this has been uplifting and encouraging for you and educational. Again, let's remember to acknowledge where we are. I love you guys. See ya.